This morning we're going to start a new series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so if you'd like to find your place in 1 Thessalonians, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, you're welcome to use. And we're going to look at the first chapter today. I want to read to you the first ten verses of this letter. Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word with much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. There's a word that Paul uses in this passage that I think sums up well what happened in Thessalonica when Paul and Silas or Silvanius ministered there. The word is found in verse 6, and this is what it says, it says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And the word there is imitation. You, be, you became an imitator. So when you hear the word imitation, you know, what do you think of? When I first began to think about this word, when I read this and I, that word captured my, my mind at that moment, I said, you know, what, what do I think of when I think of imitation? Well, one thing I think of is, you know, it's something that maybe is not as good as the original. That's the first thought I had. For example, if you go to New York City and you go down into Chinatown to do some shopping, it's amazing because you go down there and they have these name brand items for just great prices. I don't know how they do it. Well, I do know how they do it. You, know, you can get uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses for $10 and you know, Rolexes for $20 and coach purses for $30. I mean, how do they do that? Well, we know how it happens. Somehow, they're able to get their hands on these knockoffs of the original. They're not as good as the original, obviously, because you know if you bought one, they don't last too long. But they are similar to the original, but they're not quite the same. And so, when I think of the idea of imitation or being an imitator, uh, that's one visual image that pops in my mind. Some product that is kind of a knockoff brand, it's not as good. But then I thought, well, there's other things that imitate 
the original that are pretty close. For example, growing up, my mom would buy cereal for us to eat for breakfast. And oftentimes, occasionally, she would buy buy the name brand cereal, like Cheerios. But more often than not, she would buy the imitation brand, Toasted O's, you know, or whatever it may be. You know, instead of Czech cereal, you know, Sugar, sugared hexagons, you know, whatever it is. But it's, it's, it's not the original. It's, it's an imitation brand. But, it, you know, they're actually, it tasted similar, some more than others. Uh, but it tasted, you know, almost like, just like the original. And so sometimes imi- the imitation uh, is just a knockoff brand. It's not like the original, at least for very long. And then there's this other kind that's pretty close. But when you think about Pepsi or uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken or General Mills, uh, the, region, the reason you have the, the name brand or the originals and then you have these imitation brands and they're not quite the same is because these companies, they spend lots of money to keep their secret recipe a secret. They don't want to be imitated. They don't want to be copied. But that's not true of... Christianity. You know, our recipe is the gospel. And, and we don't want to keep it secret. You know, we want the entire world to know about it. We want the entire world to embrace it and imitate Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to Thessalonica, when we think about Paul and Silvanus going into Thessalonica, we see this imitation take place. The gospel come and that church began to grow and and Jesus Christ become imitated in that place in Macedonia for the first time. And so as we look at 1 Thessalonians this morning, and we look at those first ten verses, what I want to look at is a recipe. A recipe for a healthy imitation of a church or a Christian. And as we walk through this, I want want you to keep this question in mind. What if someone were to imitate you? I have three children. I know what it looks like to be imitated. (laughs) Sometimes that looks good. Sometimes not so good. But I want you to think about this. Paul and Silvanus, they go into Thessalonica. The people there did not know about Jesus. They have not heard the gospel. They go in. They begin to share the gospel. And they see people turn from their traditional uh, polytheistic religions idol worship, you know, worshiping things made with hands, and they turn from that to turn and worship the living God in Jesus Christ. And then they begin to gather and a, a church is being formed there. And then Paul and Silvanius are run out of town several weeks after uh, they arrive by some angry mob. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 17. And so they are gone. And now what you're left with is this young, very young church in its infancy. And all they know about Christianity is what Paul had taught them over the course of a few weeks. They didn't have the New Testament. They had access to the Old Testament, but no New Testament. And all they knew about Christianity and walking with Jesus is what Paul taught them. Now I want you to think about it. What if you were placed in an unreached people group? And what I mean by that is you were placed within a people group, they've never heard about Jesus. And you only had a couple weeks 
to tell them what they needed to know. You know, what would you, what would you teach them? You know, what would they see in your life that would cause a church to be birthed and people begin to walk with Jesus? And this may seem like a very unlikely scenario that you'd be transported to a, a people group that have never heard about Christ. But this is the reality of the situation we're in today in Georgia and in Augusta. That we're in a place where several decades ago, most of the people understood what you meant when you said the word gospel. Or when you said God, they thought of the God of the Christian. But that's not the case anymore. We live in a more unchurched, unreached group of people, even among us in Augusta, than we have in decades. And so the question that we're going to need to deal with as we walk through this passage is, how, how are we showing forth the gospel in our word and deed so that people, if they were to actually imitate us, we would see churches formed. We would see Christians formed. And so I want you to think about that as we walk through this. And the recipe for the Thessalonians, and I think the recipe for us as well, to imitate Christ, to imitate Paul, to imitate that early church is threefold. It's a three-part recipe. First, the gospel has to come to you. Then the gospel has to convert you. And then the gospel has to change you. And so let's look at this recipe here. Let's first look at how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. In Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, this is what Luke records. He says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now Thessalonica is a major city within the area of Macedonia. So Macedonia, you could think of it as Georgia, for example, and Thessalonica would be like Augusta. Okay? And so Paul gets this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come help us. In other words, we want to hear about Christ. And so Paul says, we're going to Macedonia. And one of the towns they go to, one of the major cities they go to is the city of Thessalonica. And what we see is the gospel comes to the Thessalonians through Paul and Silvanius, or another way to say his name is Silas. And isn't that the way the gospel tends to go? It usually goes from one person to another. That's usually how it is transmitted, so to speak. You know, most of you in here, I would guess if you're a Christian, most of you placed your faith in Jesus Christ because someone shared the gospel with you. They shared with you how God became flesh in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sin. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And if you place your trust, place your faith in Him, you can be forgiven of all your sin and inherit eternal life. You can be with God forever. Most of you had someone tell you that and you embraced Christ through them sharing the gospel with you. So most of you heard the gospel responded. And let me say that most people in our city, most, most of the people in your neighborhood, most of the people in your family who will come to Christ will do so because someone will tell them. They will share with them this 
this good news, this gospel message. And the question is, who will that someone be? I wonder, who will be that person that shares with them? You know, could it be you? Could you be like a Paul or a Silas and be a, a mouthpiece of God to speak into someone's life and share with them how they can come to know Him personally? You know, the gospel first has to come to you because you cannot imitate Jesus Christ without the gospel. The gospel first has to come to you. And like he says, it must come to you in word. It must be shared. It is a message. Uh, but it also must come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has to be at work in the midst of your life in order for it not only to come, but conversion to happen. For you to embrace Christ by faith. And so let's look at that second part of the recipe that the gospel must come And there must be conversion that takes place. And what I mean by that, there must be a change. There must be a shift. Like in the lives of the Thessalonians, they they shifted from the worship of these other gods to the one true God. There was a shift. There was a conversion. Okay, They converted from this to that. And one scholar described what happened in Thessalonica and what happens in all our lives when we embrace Christ by faith is that there was a power encounter. Is, what he has, is how he described it. There was, a, there was a power encounter that happened. In other words, you had this idea of what reality was all about. You had this idea of who God was. And you had this idea of how you related to God. And then someone comes in and shares with you about the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He had sent. And it clashes with that former belief And you have to make a choice. Which belief is true? Which belief actually describes the world as it is and as it will be? And as as those beliefs collide, you have a power encounter. Which is true? Which will you live for? Which will you embrace? And that's what happened to the Thessalonians. They had this power encounter. And they chose, many of them, chose to turn from idols to turn to the one true God. One of my favorite stories of this happening, it's just it's an interesting story, happened in the 8th century. There was a man named Boniface, and he was a missionary to Germany. Now, if you know much about the history of Germany, uh, there, was, there, was a, there was a popular religion of worshiping trees and forests. They had sacred trees, sacred, sacred forests. And so Boniface comes in and he's you know, sharing the gospel of Christ with people and they're embracing Christ, some of them. Some of them are still you know, clinging to those traditional religions of worshiping the tree and whatnot. Well, Boniface comes up to one of these massive trees, the sacred oak, massive oak tree that people worshiped as if God was in the tree. And people gather around and Boniface takes out his axe. And he takes a swing. Right into the tree. Well, some people were not happy about that. And so they began to shout out curses to Boniface. But they thought, well, if God is in the tree, surely God can defend himself and strike down Boniface as Boniface continued to just lay his axe at the tree. Stroke after stroke. And then finally, he delivered that final stroke and felled the tree. 
And it came crashing down and split into several pieces. And the crowd was silent. And there were many, even that day, that turned from the worship of the tree to worship the God who died on the tree for them. And then Barnabas took the wood of the tree and built a church building. See, there was a power encounter. Who is the one true God? You know, there are other examples more recent of um, people in Oceania embracing Christ and dealing with the traditional religions that they had once worshipped. For example, a chief in Tahiti, he baked, and this may sound somewhat silly to, to you all, but he baked and he ate a sacred turtle without observing the proper rituals first. And that may seem like a little thing, but see, in that culture, if you didn't go through these rituals, the gods would be angry. And yet he bypassed all that and just ate the turtle to demonstrate a power encounter had happened and he has chosen Christ. And there are several examples of this. And this is what one scholar said about these incidents. He says, these were deliberately daring and provocative acts. They were performed in public with relatives and friends watching in silent apprehension of the God's revenge. They were also symbolic, each being a public rejection of a power which had bound them for all ages. And when no fatal consequences followed, the people were convinced conversions took place and the church grew. See, Paul says in verse 9, he says, speaking of the Thessalonians, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And the question is, have you had this type of power encounter with Christ? Now, you may not go through rituals when you eat a sacred turtle or you're not bowing down to the oak tree. But our culture has its own gods. They're gods of prestige and pleasure and power that we bow down to all the time. And the question is, in your life, has that power encounter happened where you turn from the gods of the world and you embrace Christ as God and worship Him? We've all experienced that power encounter if we are in Christ. And if you are yet to receive Christ, that is what's going to happen. You're going to have the, the friction, the power encounter at some point, and you're going to have to make a choice. Who will you serve? Who will you place your faith in? What will you believe is true? So the gospel comes to the Thessalonians. They embrace Christ and they turn their backs on the idols they once worshipped. And so the question for us, even, even for us Christians, because we still struggle with this at times. You know, are there any idols of the heart that we need to turn our backs on? Or to put it another way, are there any trees of sin that we need to lay the acts of the gospel of Christ to in your life? The gospel comes to Thessalonica. We see conversion happen. They turn to Christ. And lastly, we see it change them. Because that's what the gospel does. It, it changes you. And what we see is once they, once they embrace the message of who Christ is and what He's done for them and what He will do, they begin to spend time with Paul and Silas. 
And even though it was a short period of time, they began to see what it looked like to live out the gospel. And I would imagine for many of you, if you have been around Christians for any amount of time, time, and if you have embraced Christ as your Savior, you have been influenced by the people you have been around. You know, those who have invited you to church or... You know, maybe it was a youth minister or a pastor or a friend that was walking with Jesus and they influenced you. In other words, they showed you what it looked like to walk with Jesus. And so the Thessalonians, they were able to spend time with Paul and Silas and just see it in the flesh. This is, this is what it looks like to walk with God. This is what it looks like to live out the gospel. And even though it was only for a few weeks, they caught a glimpse of it and they began to put that into practice. And this is what Paul says in verses 5 and 6. He says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you, you know who we are. We didn't just share with you a message and then leave the scene. We share with you our lives. You saw the gospel. Word, deed, you saw it lived out. They modeled what it looked like to be a Christian. And as the Thessalonians spent time with Paul and Silas, they began to imitate him. But this type of imitation was not some cheap knockoff that wears out after a few weeks. But this was the real thing. The real recipe was digested. And the real life, the real fruit of the Spirit was being put forward. And yet... Just as this young church was getting up and running, Paul and Silas were run out of town by this angry mob. And over a period of time, Paul began to think, I wonder what happened to that church. He was very concerned about that church. I wonder if they're still living for Christ because there's such opposition. You know, the seed of the gospel had been planted, it began to sprout. But I wonder if the opposition had crushed him. And so eventually he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica just to check on this young church. And Paul is just anxious to hear about how they're doing. And Paul returns, and this is what he says in verses, or Timothy returns, and this is what Paul says in verses 2 and 3 when, when he hears the news about what was going on in Thessalonica. Paul says, We give thanks to God. Always, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. It was present in this church. Even after the leadership, Paul, Silas were kicked out of town. The church continued to thrive. These people continued to walk with Christ. They continued to labor in love. And there was this steadfastness of hope. They were imitating Paul. They were imitating Christ. They were being the body of Christ. Their lives were changed. Like I said, this was not some cheap knockoff brand of Ray-Bans. This was the real deal. The gospel was planted and began to produce great fruit. And not only was this evident in Thessalonica, but this became evident in the surrounding region. In verses 7 and 8 we read, 
Paul says, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. Think of Georgia. Let's say the Hill Baptist Church. You know, we became an example to all those in Georgia. And Achaia. Think of South Carolina. You know, news began to spread about how God was working in this church. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth like a trumpet. It's just gone out. It's like the gospel rumor mill. You know, It's going out. Sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we, not, we need not say anything. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't say anything. You know he did. <laughs> Paul had lots to say. But he would go into an area of Macedonia and they had already heard about Thessalon- the Thessalonians, how they had turned from idols and embraced Christ. And I think, wouldn't it be great if that were true of us? That people said, you know, the Hill Baptist Church, full of people who used to be addicted to power and prestige, pleasure, money, used to be, a, love it, addicted to it, worshipped it. But you know, they turned from that, and now they worship Christ. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of you. I want that to be true of this church. That this church, we have, there's been a shift that has taken place in our lives. That Christ is who we worship. Christ is who we follow. You know, David Hume, he's a well-known Scottish philosopher and historian of the 18th century. He was also a deist. And one day, it was about 5 a.m. in London. He was making his way down the road. And... Uh, Someone bumped into him and said, aren't you David Hume? And he says, yes, I am. And like I said, he was a deist. He didn't believe the gospel, didn't believe the Bible, didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, he was a skeptic. And they said, aren't you David Hume? And he said, yes, I am. Now, where are you going this early in the morning? He said, I'm going to hear George Whitfield preach. If you've ever heard of George Whitfield, he's a famous 18th century preacher, uh, instrumental in one of the major revivals in our country. I'm going to hear... George Whitfield preach, and he says, well, <laughs> why would you go hear George Whitfield preach? You don't believe any of that. And he says, that's true, but he does. And I think, I wonder if news would spread about us like that. Yes, not everybody's going to embrace Christ, but can they at least say that we believe it? Can they at least say that We trust Christ. We worship Christ more than the things of this world. I hope they can. If you want to imitate the church of the Thessalonians, the gospel must come to you, it must convert you, and it must change you. And my prayer is that each of us will be a healthy imitation of Jesus Christ so that the gospel can go forward into our city. Let us pray. God, we come to you today confessing that we do not perfectly imitate you, and we know that. But Lord, help us to be quick to confess our sin, acknowledge the areas that we don't imitate you, and thank you for your forgiveness, God. There's only one perfect one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that every person here that it would be true of them that they worship You and not the gods made with hands or made with our own minds 
or even the thoughts of others. But we would worship the true and living God. And may the news spread about this worship in Somerville and Forest Hills, Bedford Park, Old Town, Martinez, North Augusta, all around God. May the news spread that these people here have turned from the gods of the world and they worship Jesus Christ. And let us invite others to do the same. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.